And would you join me by turning to Hebrews? We're going to be in three particular passages in Hebrews, and we're going to actually take them in the opposite order they occur in the letter. We're going to be in chapters 13 and then chapters 10. I really invite you, but I I plead with you, I encourage you to take the reading plan that you should have got at the beginning. If you don't have it, text me and I'll send you an image of it. There's also um, outlines of it, or there's still sheets of paper out there on one of the little tables out there you can take, and you'll read through Hebrews at least one more time. It has ministered to my soul over and over again this month as a pastor, as a Christian, And I pray that it will be that to you as well. I'm going to, with a little bit of alteration, remind you of this quotation that I've truly saved Christian. Is not a straight line to heaven. A path of ease. The life of the godly is rough, but they do get there. The life of the godly is not a highway through Nebraska or Arizona, but a state road through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee, or should I say the bumpy potholes, potholed roads of Flint or Burton or Flushing or right around here. They are there are rock slides and precipices and dark mists and bears and slippery curves and hair hair pin turns that make you at times go backwards to actually go forwards, but all along this hazardous, twisted road, there are signs in this Christian life that says the best is yet to come. All written and signed by our Master, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the book of Hebrews is a sermon, it is an exhortation to the church that exhorts us. To exhort means to to help, to come alongside, to encourage and plead with us, to keep going. If you were to read at Hebrews 13, 22, almost at the very end of this book, this sermon, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly, but it's a very serious appeal. It's a serious exhortation. And so in the chapter before, he writes, See, you do not refuse him who is speaking. That could refer to the one that's writing to them, or even Jesus and the Holy Spirit in giving this message to us. For if they, in the Old Testament, did not escape when they refused him it could be the angels, the prophets. When they didn't, they refused them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. So the exhortation, this book of Hebrews is written for faith church today. And he says it's to those who are brothers or sisters. And this letter, or this book, or this sermon, however you want to put it together here, Hebrews, is written to believers, brothers, who view themselves as believers who have been saved. They have repented of their sins. They have looked 
alone to Christ for salvation, Christ's work on the cross to take away their sins and to give them new life in Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you have not done that, it is our prayer and appeal to you to do that today. Even though you think you might have, look to Him today. But if you've done that, there is a journey called the Christian life. From getting saved to being saved on the end, that last day when you face your judge, you die, or Christ returns, being saved in that last day so that you do not face the wrath of God, from being saved when you accept Christ to getting saved in the end, there is a journey that we are to walk. And Hebrews calls it a journey of faith and patience. We started with faith, trusting God, believing in His promises to save us, and we continue on. And Hebrews is written to preserve our faith on this journey of perseverance, of trusting. My sermon this morning is this to us. Faith Church, trust Jesus and don't stop trusting Jesus. And here's what I really want us to add. Do it together. This letter calls us to trust Jesus and don't stop trusting in Jesus. And you need to do that together. You can't do that alone. The message of Hebrews is going to say things like, Jesus is better. He's better. Don't look to the alternatives that are out there. The idols that are out there, the false messiahs, the false saviors, the things that are going to offer you satisfaction or security for a short time, Jesus is better. And Jesus came to this earth, we saw last week, to make us children of God. God our Father, to take care of our sin problem and to take care of our death problem. And He came to make you like our big brother Jesus, to make us holy. And the best is yet to come. It keeps calling to us, the best is yet to come. Believe that. There are promises ahead. Do not remove your eyes of your heart from those things. Don't give up. Beware, there are dangers that will seek to get you to disbelieve and to give up Jesus, saying that there's something better than Him. Don't believe it for a second. So my message, and I've prayed, and others have prayed, I believe this is for the joy of your soul forever. And this message is this, trust Jesus. Don't stop trusting in Jesus. And you need each other. Last Sunday when we took communion of Christ, we communed with Him and with each other. You walked down these aisles and you took communion you were looking at people that are intended to help you keep trusting Him and not turning back and shrinking back, as the book of Hebrews uses that kind of language. We are together to trust Jesus and not give up. The joy, I should say, the journey, I started with this story of journey. Journey, not, not like a smooth road, but a journey that winds and twists with all these dangers. The journey of faith, of trusting Jesus, and being patient, not giving up, not quitting. We are, the one that we are called to this journey is 
a community project. Yes, we are all responsible for the decisions we make, but it is God's designed intention for it to be a community project together. And the community that God intends us to to take place in that journey, that project, that keeping in the faith and patience is called the church. So, faith church, if you're visiting here this morning, trust Jesus, don't stop and do it together. Here are my three exhortations. They're from three different texts in the book of Hebrews. Three exhortations for embracing the church for your journey of faith. And they are this. Follow faithful leaders, meet often together, and daily help and get help. Okay? If you take anything, they're in the back of your bulletin. Follow faithful leaders, meet often together, and daily help and get help. Would you look with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17? It is a passage that I both love and feel an amazing weight for. It is a passage that each one of us have a major responsibility and eternity. I mean, the smell of eternity, if, if you sniff the page of that verse, you could smell eternity, metaphorically speaking. You could smell that there is judgment, eternal life. The importance of soul, gladness, the watching over and care. Before I read that, I want to just say to you, for your journey of faith and patience in the Christian life, you need to follow faithful leaders. I'm going to back that up in verse 17, but I want to share this with you. It is God's plan for true believers to have leaders in their lives that will know them and watch carefully for their spiritual health. These leaders in the New Testament are called pastors or shepherds or overseers or elders. These men are to speak the Word of God over and over, teaching sound doctrine and truth to live and apply our lives in order to feed your faith and the faith of all they they lead. And believers need to find a place where this will happen, and they need to follow their leaders and make their leaders' job as easy as possible in this task. And for that, I get it from verse 17. Obey your leaders. Some translations... I think the NIV says, have confidence in your leaders. Another, follow your leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In fact, you go back 10 verses, he talks about leaders again, or before. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews finishes up in chapter 13 
the writer is very burdened that in our path towards not giving up the faith, but looking to Jesus to the very end and inheriting the promises, he says, oh, I want to remind you that there has been put for your spiritual care faithful leaders who speak the word of God to you. And I believe he's talking not just general leaders and just leaders that are in your life and your job or your government or wherever else it is. It's talking about elders and pastors because he says they are keeping watch over your souls. The soul is that which goes on living when your body lays smoldering in the grave. The Bible says that when you die, your soul will be with Jesus, Philippians 1.20, or in hell, Matthew 25.46. Pastors, the leaders that this passage is talking to about, cares about your soul, and they are to watch over your soul. And God intends for all believers to put themselves into relationships that they ask people to say, will you watch over my soul? That we call that membership, being part of a congregation. And God intends for us to both have responsibilities. Pastors like myself and Pastor Mike and Pastor Jay, and I believe that in the coming years, men in this congregation that have been equipped and gifted and shepherding gifts and growing in godliness and in the Word of God will be called to help watch over all of the souls of this church and you for me as well. I need you watching over my soul. And the Bible says that God intends for leaders in your life to watch over your soul as ones who will someday give an account for how they did in their watching. And the responsibility of this passage is he's saying, now, now follow those leaders. Now the context isn't just leaders should go out there and micromanage the, the lives of all the sheep and you better just obey whatever Pastor Daniel says. No, the context of this is follow them as they teach the word. When he says, trust Jesus, listen to him. When he says, gather together to worship, listen to him. When he says, pray for this, pray for this. When he says, seek the Lord and study this together, follow your leaders who watch over your souls and make, the end of this passage, make their job as easy as possible. Make it a joy. I know, I pr pray that you would view the preparation of the gathering of this, this Sunday mornings each year, the 52 Sundays we gather, you would think in terms of how can I make it a joy for this congregation and the leaders. I can come, I can make it a priority to come and come as much as I possibly can. And I come prepared by praying and I come with my family and I invite and I pray and ask God to bring the most out of Pastor Daniel or Pastor Mike or Jay or Jason or Brian or whoever else is heralding the word that God would do a work. And so follow your leaders. I for my health and good, I and some of you go to places like the YMCA or Snap Fitness or is it Planet Fitness? Those things exist for our physical health. 
These leaders in verse 17 exist for your spiritual health. I've heard this said. Those health spas, workout places, diets, all of those things exist for your for, for short-term health and life. These leaders exist for long-term investment. And the goal of every is your eternity that you will spend forever with God in heaven. That you'll do really well trusting Jesus and having faith and not giving up the faith if, if you don't take verse 17 real seriously. We just can't like say, that's a me verse. That fits my personality. I want that advice from God or instruction or command from God. No, this passage says we are to live a life in community for our faith and we are to follow faithful leaders. My responsibility is to be, take it really seriously in my watch care and I better not ask you to follow or to obey or submit unless it is biblical, faithful, and not provoking you to anger. Now this passage says, do this so that they'll have joy and not groaning. I'm so thankful that I get to pastor and shepherd in a congregation that by God's grace, in so many ways, you respond producing encouragement and joy in this shepherd's heart. I, I ordered three copies of a book I intended to give away, and UPS tried to deliver them yesterday, and it said nobody was there. And I'm like, what? You always drop it off. I don't know why. So I guess I don't have these copies for you today. I was going to give three books. Take this title in. The book your pastor wishes you would read, but is too embarrassed to ask. Book with about 10 things that probably every pastor would love for a congregant to love and embrace. And it's, it's just a beautifully witty, short little book. It's, there's some humor in it. Every pastor would want you to read, but it's too embarrassed to ask. I'm not embarrassed to ask you to read it. But here's a snippet from it, and that's this. Would you, according to this verse, pursue my joy by following the Word of God, by praying and caring for the spirituality of this congregation, embracing the covenant, that will pursue my joy. And this is why he says it's important, it's in your best interest to pursue my, my joy with verse 17 in mind. Unless there is at least some whisper of joy in your pastor's heart as they do their work, and some spring of gladness in their step, they'll never persevere to the end. Pastors are dropping out of ministry all the time. And this is the point. It is you, the congregation, who will suffer. Instead of being well taught, faithfully preached to with insight and depth, instead of being patiently prayed for, instead of having our souls guarded from evil, instead of being love, lovingly equipped, instead of being well led in our churches, we'll be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd at the mercy of all kinds of destructive evil. And our churches will be places of shallow immaturity and instability at the mercy of every whim of cultural pressure or theological oddity. It is therefore in the congregation's interest to say nothing for the love of your pastor that we should make their, the pastors, work a joy and not simply a heavy and gloomy burden. Please do not misinterpret this point in the sermon as a subtle way of trying to get a message across. It is 
in Hebrews as I think a vital passage among three that says the community matters, the church, for this walk. Here's one of them. Follow your pastors by making the Bible your priority, making prayer a priority, committing to this church, gathering together, not just at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, some of the Sundays, but as much as possible. Wednesday nights, small groups, supporting the missionaries, supporting this church, its people, praying and embracing that covenant that's in the beginning of your church directory. It's for our joy. God intends for someone and someones to watch over your soul and someday I'll be asked. You ready to give a reckoning for Mike Crow? For Nick and for Dave and for Jenny and Shannon and Karen? For those years that you had to shepherd them, how'd you do? Do you want that? Do you want that in your life? Would you pray for us? And be part of that. That's, that's point number one. Number two. So the first advice is follow faithful leaders. Pray that we'll be faithful. Keep us faithful. If we're not being faithful, lovingly call us to account. Number two, meet often together. So I guess the points two and three are kind of like the way you can apply point one. Because point two and three are really important. And it, what this pastor wants you to follow. Number two, meet often together. Look at Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Hebrews 10, so we're going backwards in the book of Hebrews. Before I read it, starting in verse 19, I want you to hear this. We're to meet often together. God's plan is for true believers to meet together a lot. They do this because they need each other. They do this to draw near to Christ together, to take communion together, to hear God's word together, to pray together, to encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And just as a body, a physical human body that has a lot of members, hands and toes and feet and the bodily organs, just as a body must be together, so must the people and the members of the church. So with that, look at verse 19. The writer is appealing to us in Christ. Therefore, brothers, family, since we have confidence to enter the holy places the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh, he, he died for us so that we can approach God. We can worship Him on a Sunday morning and you can kneel beside your bed at night or dry on your commute or in school on Monday morning and cry out to the holy God and He listens to you. That's a holy place because Jesus died on the cross for you to let you be acceptable for God. Because that happened, we have a high priest over the house of God. Verse 22, let us draw near. This is the plural. Let us all of us, let's all draw near together with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now here are the two verses that I want you to just really just hone into. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, meaning do it even more as you see the Lord's return, the day, capital D, the day drawing near. There's, there's a lot we could say about this passage. But I want to make this, I want to make mention this. One recent, one new, some, someone new to faith, he's a new attender, just been involved in a lot of things, just made a comment to me. Just this week, he says, man, I just get fed by the Word of God. I, I love the fellowship with the brothers and sisters here. Just love, I'm just, just diving into this. God is so good, but hearing the Word of God is so good, being together is so good, but why do so few people come on Wednesday night or gather here at Sunday at 11 or Sunday school? We need to meet together. There are many reasons in our busy lives that keep us from meeting together. But so often, it really comes down to priorities. We, there are reasons to not be here on a Sunday morning or a small group or Wednesday, or the gathering and meeting together. There are reasons, but far too often, the reasons are more of a revelation of misplaced priorities rather than a hunger to be with my brothers and sisters, to go to God and worship Him, to grow together, and to encourage and stir one another up. My, this exhortation, this appeal is, brothers, sisters, family, God, meet together often. God intends for us on the Lord's Day to gather and make that a priority. There is something unique. Even if you don't think this yet, I just want to tell you, this, the testimony of Old and New Testament is there's something special and unique of the corporate gathering of God's people. There is something important about you on your own or in a small group reading and studying the Word of God, yes. But there is something about the gathered people that have prayed and sought God's will. They come together, they take communion, they worship, they hear God's Word, that God specially meets us. And oh, I pray that we would experience it all the more. There are reasons because of jobs, there are reasons because of health, there are reasons because of other things. But we do need to evaluate, are the decisions of my life, the course of my life, saying I value the meeting together more often for my faith. Now, he says meet together often, and I, I wrote a few things down, to draw near to God together. Oh, that we would draw near to God together, that we would grow to God together through Jesus and the gospel. But then it says in these last two verses, 24 and 25, we need to consider, this word is a present verb that would mean go on considering. Don't stop considering. Let consideration be your constant obsession. Consider how you can stimulate, stir, provoke in a good way. I was teasing, the, there was three deacons at the door, right, at the end of Sunday school, and I said to them, three faith deacons in one place, you must be conspiring to stir one another up to love and to good deeds, right? And in fact, they probably are. But we should 
consider how we may stir one another up. How might we gather on a Sunday morning, not just because we're supposed to gather, but how might meeting together be a way that I can encourage and stir one another up to love, to good works. And in verse 25, not meeting, neglecting to meet, as some do, but encouraging one another. Encourage one another. We come to to pursue the, the, in the context of this, it's the encouragement is, don't you know the promise that you have in Christ Jesus? He's with you this week. All of the burdens and cares he wants to take from you. He wants you to cast upon him. How can I pray for you, sister? How can I help you? Is there a way that I can encourage you this week to not keep your eyes away from Jesus on those problems, but to look to Christ and with Christ's help face these circumstances that He is allowing in your life. And we are to encourage each other. That happens in small groups in a very special way. So be part of those and join in and make that a priority and go there saying, how can I stir one another up to love and to good works? I've said this before. Don't think in terms of gathering on a Wednesday, a Sunday school, a Sunday morning service, or a small group as though, I know what they're going to cover. I don't need that. I don't feel a particular burden or need for that in my life this stage. Don't think in that terms. That's too consumeristic. That's viewing hey, this is a buffet and that's something I'm going to eat and I just not, that's not my taste. View it as, also, he wants me to be an encouragement to someone else, even if it's the leaders that are there. All of this is in the context of saying, there is a battle for our soul and for our children's soul and our young people as they grow up. And oh, we need to gather together. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to gather and meet together to help each other walk this walk of faith. You could continue on in reading in chapter 10. And this is serious stuff. It goes right into, but, but if you go on sinning deliberately, he says. And I'm not going to read all of that. He warns them. He says, if you take sin really seriously... It, it could kill you. It'll damn you. It'll prove that you're not a true believer, not lose your salvation. I don't believe Hebrews or the Scripture says those truly once saved will lose their salvation. But once truly saved, the, First John says the Spirit of God starts to work in your life and you have a new nature. And Hebrews is meant to say one of the ways that new nature continues to grow is you actually, if you're a real believer, you'll hear these warnings. You'll hear these exhortations. You're going to gather together. You're going to put people into your life because you can't trust yourself and you need somebody to encourage you and help you. That's why you gather and why you go and gather to help others. Meet together more for your faith and for your trust in God so you don't get daily help and get help. Daily help and get help. Would you look at chapters three, chapter three, verse twelve, Hebrews three twelve. He just has been quoting an Old Testament passage of warning in the wilderness. They did fall away from the living God. They were sent in the wilderness. God was going to bring him into the promised land with all these promises, but apparently. Their faith was not real, and they just stumbled in the wilderness. And he's saying, don't be like them. Before I read verse 12 and through 14, I want you to hear this. God intends to keep us Christians believing 
through our own carefulness and the carefulness of others in our lives. It is not them saving ourselves or keeping ourselves. It's not us keeping ourselves. It's God, but our obeying and following what He's instructed us. This doesn't mean we keep ourselves, but He calls us to a diligence for ourselves and for others. We are to be diligent for our souls and for each other. I said, I'm to watch over my own... I'm, over, I'm, I'm assigned to watch over your souls so that someday I will give an account... There is a sense in which you were to watch over your own soul and for each other's souls as well. You were to care about that fellow member, that person that you did communion with last week, who you're sitting next to or behind or in front of. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers. It could really be brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, we all know what that can look like in our lives. Just like when we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take care lest there be in any evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. So what are you going to do positively? The take care, verse 13 is, this is the taking care, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. The way this writer is writing, he is not saying you secure your being in Christ by keeping firm to the end, but you reveal that you really are in Christ. And so take heed and exhort one another day by day. Now, do you know that word exhort in this is where we get the word paraclete? You might say, well, I don't know what that means. I'm not, I don't know Greek. Uh, the word paraclete in Greek is also, the, it, it means to come alongside and help. To come alongside and help. Think of a, a a parent coming alongside some, a, a, a little toddler and learning something. The other day I was lifting weights with Barnabas. This is one of his first time lifting, and I'm coming alongside. Okay, this is what you do. This is how you do. This is how you move this. This is, this is not how you do it. This is how you do it, and you do it 10 times. You come along and help. You do that. We do that all the time in our, our lives. This, that's the language It's here. Come alongside and help one another all the time. But you realize even more so, this word is where we also get the word, paraclete is where we get the word for the Holy Spirit given to us. He is the helper that comes alongside of us and helps us. And it's the same word in, some, in a different form, Greek form, that in 1 John chapter 2, that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That, that's a paraclete, a helper who comes alongside and is there as a media for each other. We are to daily help and get help from one another. How do you get, how do you help? We help each other by reminding each other of the promises of God that we have to hold on to, that we are so easily to forget, maybe not in our mind, but in our hearts, and we need to believe so desperately. We help 
We help each other by sharing what God has shown us and sharing it with others. We help each other by encouraging one another, by pointing out, hey, dear friend, I know it's been a hard season, but I just want to encourage you. I've seen God's grace in your life and you maintaining the faith and not giving up. And I just want to encourage you with that. Don't give up. I see evidences of God's grace in your life. We help by letting people know that we're praying for them and that we care about them. We help them by praying for them and then asking them when they had told us a prayer request, remind, remind them, remember you asked me to pray for you on that? How's that going? We encourage them in that way. We encourage and help by sending notes and cards and texts and phone calls and gathering together and going up to people. And, and so I, wanted, I put on this point, to do this, we, we all need to cooperate in this and be humble enough to go, I need to help. I need to be that kind of person that comes alongside and helps. Even me. Yes, even me. You need to say that. And I need others. I need to be helped. And so we need to daily, regularly ask for help. Will you this week reach out if you're struggling with anxiety or fear or anger or discouragement or sin or addictions? Will you reach out to someone in this church and ask for prayer and for help? Would you ask for prayer for things that you're discouraged about but are afraid that others will judge you because you're actually discouraged? We're all discouraged from time to time. Let's get over ourselves and be honest about the battle that we all face, this battle of faith. And so we come alongside. This passage says the Christian life, the, in order that we would hold our original confidence firm to the end and share, so prove that we're in Christ, we need to be encouragers one to another. You see, everything, the only source of help that I can bring to you, and the only source that you can bring to that person in your small group or in this room, or the person that you nodded at when you walked and took communion last Sunday, the only source of help is through Jesus. We need His Spirit. We need Jesus' help, we need it, and we find it in His Word. That's why we need to go to God in prayer. We need to be in His Word. We need this so that we can help and get help properly. So we need Jesus. We need to keep looking to Jesus, and we need Him together by following leaders that are faithful and meeting together more often and daily getting help and being helpful, why would we not want to do this? He, he calls us to this banquet of community called the church, the family of God. So I, I, was, I was thinking, how do I conclude this sermon? Here's, here's the way I want to conclude it. I, I want to give you help. It says, this last passage says, but exhort one another or come alongside helping one another. Well, one of the ways that my job right now is in the next 
the last three minutes is to coming along and doing this ministry. So let me do that, and I pray that it will help you and encourage you, and that the grace that God gives you, you'll be able to help your children or your parents or your brother or sister. But here's the encouragement to you. It was fitting, Hebrews says, for the Son of God to appear 2,000 years ago to share in our flesh and blood to be tempted in all ways and be without sin, to suffer when tempted, to taste death for us, to make a way for us to draw near to God through sin. And it's absolutely glorious that we, imagine it, we, through Jesus coming in the flesh, has become our big brother, and we are made sons of glory, sons and daughters of the King, of our Father. And we are heirs with Christ, with a glorious inheritance, and can truly say the best is yet to come. We, to be children of God, that's who we are, and our God is our Father, and we have joys and privileges that we now enjoy and will know in fuller glory forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged in this. Here on this earth, there is no lasting city, nor pleasures forevermore, nor riches that are not going to fade. But we seek that which is to come and is indestructible and everlasting. Here we'll face suffering and sin and death, but because our Savior, the pioneer and founder of our faith, because He suffered once for sins, the just for the unrighteous, the perfect for us wicked, all we who cry for mercy, turn from our sins and believe in Him, upon Him, will face a future of never-ending and only increasing joy and pleasure where suffering, sin, and death will be no more. And oh, I pray that you'll receive that. And if you don't have confidence in that, talk to me afterwards or talk to someone here afterwards. We will enjoy eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Be encouraged. To encourage means to give courage. Take courage then. Upon, take this courage upon yourself. Trust Him. Don't turn back. Lean into the people of God. Submit to the community of faith, the church that God has put you into, and revel in the encouragement that He gives and share it with others. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that You would make us a people that continues on this journey knowing we can't trust ourselves, but we so desperately trust You and we trust that you've given us people that will help us in this life preserve our faith and keep encouraged. I pray that we, brothers and sisters of Christ, would be spiritual smelling salts to those that have fainted. I pray that we would be encouragers. We would we'd be the last to judge or be judgmental to be proud or haughty with our looks, with our comments, 
in our relationships, but we would be the first to pray, first to encourage, first to point to Jesus, first to point to the forgiveness that's in Christ Jesus, and we would help each other. God, I do pray for the young people here, those that are are not to adulthood yet, but God, you have saved many of them and are working in them. Oh God, I pray that you would help them to trust and to not give up and to cling to spiritual community. Their their friends in the youth group, their parents, to the members of this church, work in them. And I pray that in the years and decades to come, they would surpass us adults in their walk with you and we would be so encouraged and helped by them as they watch over our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.